0: I'd like to welcome today's guest, Point of Rental's Senior Vice President of Global Product Management, James Morley.
1: James, welcome to The Front Porch. I didn't welcome you yet. Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for having me here. Welcome to The Front Porch with Brian Beaudry.
0: Okay. So let's start with the basics. Who are you? Where are you from? And I've been trying to become an adequate leader. Part of that process is coming up with my own personal leadership philosophy. What is your personal leadership philosophy?
1: Uh, Well, as you said in the intro, I'm James Morley. I'm the head of product management here at Point of Rental. Um, I'm originally Canadian. Um, Born there. um, Then through a couple different stops of having a father in the oil and gas industry, I wound up in Houston, uh, I've spent most of my growing up time in Houston, and uh, even though our office is headquartered here in Dallas Fort Worth, uh, I commute back and forth uh, every couple of weeks, and so I'm based uh, on the in the Houston area.
0: But uh, it's every couple of weeks, not every day. That seems
1: like that was that was a, a no go for uh, the initial. Um, bringing the idea of coming and working to point of rental to my wife, but uh, no, it's a good balance of being able to come and get face time with people, but then also, you know, getting to work with Jim Shorts half of the time, as most people enjoy from a hybrid work scenario. Um, Leadership philosophy. So I I would say that of all the leadership philosophies that I've resonated with, the one that I try to keep forefront in my mind, and I think resonates the most with me is lead by example. Um, I think that if you ask somebody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself, or if you're trying to build a team or be a part of an organization and you're asking people to do things that you're not modeling that behavior, talk is pretty cheap. They need to see you doing those things. And so that's the philosophy that I think resonated with me the most in my career.
0: All right. I like it. Okay. Now let's go all the way into the past. Okay. Uh, a little bit after you were born, probably, but uh, well before today. So- what did you want to be when you were a kid, when you first started to get that answer to the question,
1: what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, my first memory of answering that question, I think, is a pretty standard answer for most elementary kids. Pretty sure I wanted to be a marine biologist. Um, I'm, you know, first trip to the ocean or sea world and seeing Shamu, I think there's a high prevalence or a high correlation of uh, children that wanted to be a marine biologist. Um I don't know that anything ever came of it, but that would have been, I think, my answer through elementary school or that type of, of, of time frame. By the time I got into high school, I got introduced into technical theater. So the idea of doing lighting design, as we have in the studio today, building sets and, and things like that, um, and it it brought a lot of interest in my life together. You know, entertainment theater, not having to be on stage in the theater, but still getting to be a part of it. Um, you know, a certain amount of Uh, problem solving and fixing etc and so that resonated with me all through high school and I think I would have told you up until my senior year of high school that was the career path that I intended to get into so so that made you give up on marine biology yeah yeah really yeah I I realized you know Shamu had plenty of other probably smarter people than me trying to pursue that career and uh, I was much better at at building things and uh, uh, that that would probably be a better place for me Okay. Well, also that career
0: doesn't seem to exactly correlate with <laughs> with product or product management. So let's go through some of the stops that you went in between there and here. So what did you do out of high school? It, it appears that you didn't maybe set up all of the stages.
1: No, I did get to dip my toe in the water and do it, you know, as a gig work for a little bit. Uh, went to university. Um, when I graduated. Like many, uh, you know, Longhorns in Austin that don't quite know what they want to do with their life, uh, the big employer in that area was Dell. So I spent my first two years out of university uh, working for Dell in their sales department. And so uh, I did a lot of cold calling sales into small and medium sized businesses that didn't have a relationship um, or if any of you are familiar at the time Dell went through a period of what they called Dell hell. So they had treated their customers so badly that they were having customers leave them in droves. um, And they were really trying to turn the ship and say, we want to be a different company, et cetera. Uh, And so a lot of that experience that I had was calling into customers that had had a previous relationship and trying to bring them back. And so um, great organization that taught a lot of skills, had a really good onboarding um, practice and uh, you know, Many things in life relate to sales. So if you have a background in sales, you find yourself using those skills later. So that was a great first stop for me. Um, so your first job was like apologizing <laughs> for for previous uh, people. And- uh, yeah. Sorry for what happened before. <laughs> Could I sell you a server? That was, you know, my first two years out of college uh, with some degree of success. Uh, and then in, in 2008, you know, most people in their employment history, if it goes that back far, have a 2008 story. Um, before anything, you know, any, we heard any rumbles of it, I actually got the opportunity to go do some pretty cool travel, to go up to Norway, uh, spend a couple weeks um, going around the Norwegian islands, et cetera. And so two years out of college with, you know, nothing expected of me in life and having a savings account, I thought that was a pretty good idea. Uh, I came back, and around the time I came back to either pick up a job again at Dell or maybe go work with some other large company in a similar capacity hiring freeze, nothing was going on, etc. Yeah. Um, so I had made my way back to Houston and fell into a very small oil and gas software company. Um, it had gone through some downturns as well. There were three people in the United States and maybe two or three um, in e- eastern Ukraine in Kiev doing the actual software development. Uh, so I fell into that company for a while Ended up spending nine years working there. So when I started such a small company, there were no job titles. You just did whatever you had to do to make everything work. I was James, answered the phone, did things in the background, helped with the developers, did a certain amount of sales, et cetera. Um, We were able to grow that business pretty significantly uh, to the point that nine years later, uh, I was the chief operating officer of still a very small business, but running the day-to-day operations Uh, And then that business became acquired by a larger oil and gas software company, which is where I spent the last four and a half years of my professional life um, building out uh, the the company, had had big software solutions that were sold kind of on-prem to enterprise customers. Part of the reason that they acquired us was not just that we were a fit for their portfolio for where they wanted to go, but also they wanted to start to build out a different customer solution, a more modern, based around software as a service Uh, And so I started the first customer success group at that company about how we would have an intentional customer experience for those. Um, That also took on a product management aspect, Um, almost building out a business unit within that group um, before eventually focusing down just to product management, and then point of rental came along. Okay, so I
0: I know I need to get into the product management part and, and the business side of things, but you did mention like, I just had this opportunity to go to Norway. Like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> you technically always have the opportunity to go somewhere for a couple weeks if you want, but that seems very specific.
1: Well, this one was handed to me on a silver platter, so it was really hard to say no. And so um, my parents do a lot of traveling. Uh, Photography is a big hobby. I, I realized as I'm an adult now looking back on my childhood that my father, who was a geologist by training, All of our family vacations were about staring at interesting rocks and so never went to disney world never went to disneyland as a kid instead we would pack up in the family minivan or the suburban and we'd head out to castle rock or zion or um, the grand canyon or lake powell and again looking back as an adult the common theme was interesting rocks all over the place and so um, right around the time a couple years out of college uh, my father had planned to go um, up to Svalbard or Longyearbyen, which is on the island of Svalbard in upper Norway, and he was going to ha- be on this cruise with my mom and my grandparents. My grandparents had actually um, honeymooned in uh, Norway, and he wanted to take them back after so many years. <laughs> my grandparents said, oh, that's a very thoughtful gesture, but we don't want to go spend four weeks on a ship going around the islands, crossing the Bering Strait, et cetera. Uh, and so he came to my brother and I and said, well, you know, because I've got these two non-refundable tickets, would you like to go? Uh, so that's that's how that came to be and uh, no regrets. But, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know if I would have gotten that if the tickets were refundable. <laughs> that, that's fair. Yeah. That is
0: definitely one of those where it's like, okay, twist my arm. I guess, <laughs> right. I guess I'll go. Yeah. Okay. So uh, – Let's, let's talk more about getting into the, the business side of software and, and dealing with SaaS. How is that kind of translated to what you do here at Point of Rental?
1: I think a lot of things, you know, I was in a very small business. There were, for a long time, no clear job descriptions, roles. You did whatever you needed to do. As we grew, we got, uh, you know, um, more defined job descriptions and roles. And I continued to run the operations of the day-to-day of the entire business, and I think the common theme that we had was we wanted to have a fantastic customer experience. Our differentiator was not just our technology, but how we offered our support model, how we offered this um, <clears throat> partnership experience with our customers where you know we would proactively call them and say, you know, what are the challenges that you have coming up? What's your business going to be going forward? How do we help make our software work best for you? Uh, and that got a lot of loyalty with customers, even when in some cases the product didn't have all of the bells and whistles that they might need. They were more patient with us versus saying, I'm going to go look at a competitor because of that customer experience that we designed. So that philosophy of engaging with customers, having a great customer experience is one that I took, you know, helping run a small business. When I then got moved into a larger business that had much more rigid swim lanes of what your job had to be, I naturally came over to product because, you know, as much as everything you're trying to do uh, in sales, in support, etc., is helping your customers, in my view, the role of product is to understand from our customers in market what the largest problems that they have is and what could we do to solve that in a way that, you know, has them adopt our software. Um, and so that means not only do you get to spend time with customers, build those relationships, et etc., but you actually have the ability to build something that brings them meaning and value. And so that really was the all right, you've got to pick a swim lane. Product is the one that you get the most control of actually solving customers' problems. And so that's kind of what led my journey that direction.
0: Yeah, it seems like a, a good direction to go in if you're wanting to solve people's problems. And I noticed that you've done, you, you've implemented a, a few of those things here at Pointer Frontal. I know there are a bunch of advisory boards and, and a whole bunch of other things. What are I don't know all of them, though. So what are
1: all of the things <laughs> that you've implemented to try to So what we're that? trying to do is make sure that you know, the product team um, brings the company along. So we're engaging with our stakeholders internally, but also that when we say we should build X or fix Y or do something like that, that's informed by the stakeholders we have internally, but heavily informed by our customers. Um, there's no one-size-fits-all for how you engage with our customers. They're of different sizes. They're in different segments. Some want to interact with you digitally. They love the platform you innovate where they go submit an idea. They can comment on it. They can upvote it. Some say, I don't have time to go log into a platform and you know search around and do that. You know I'd like somebody to come sit down with me. So we have product managers that go out to locations, sit down with customers, have a conversation with them. Uh, we also have this idea of customer advisory boards <laughs> where – We'll bring customers together in different geographies and different segments. We do it virtually. We're going to have the first on per in-person version of it coming up in October where we'll stack rank ideas. We'll talk to them about it. We'll say, okay, when you say we'd like to have X mobile feature, what does that really mean and what problem is it solving? And it may mean that when they say, go out of checkbox here, we in fact realize that No, that doesn't solve the problem. The better way to solve the problem is this. And so we want to be collaborative in that conversation with them. So the customer advisory boards allows us to do that, to have long format conversations back and forth um, with those customers. We also use a a tool called AHA to do what's called empathy sessions. So again, our customers are running their business all day and out. Sometimes with their best intentions, they can't log into a one o'clock call because something changes for their business. So, So instead... They have the ability to go log in, watch a short video of a concept or a prototype, leave a comment, interact with customers there. Um, we have, you know, business analysts that will call out to them, talk them through things. Uh, we're also investing in tools within the software so that they can leave comments and suggestions or even mark, you know, this screen gives me a lot of trouble. And so that's about opening up a lot of different channels to get feedback because. We don't want, you know, it's this idea of the one squeaky wheel. We don't want one place that we're only getting feedback from and ignoring the rest of the car in that analogy.
0: Yeah, I definitely like, especially, like, the comparison between you, Innovate, and, like, these more robust things. Obviously, you know, when you're making a suggestion, you're just thinking of, like, the quickest thing, but it's not necessarily, like, the full thing that needs to be done to actually take care of the issue.
1: Right. The more data points we have, the more points of impact we can make better, more balanced decisions rather than single point of feedback. Uh, we're six months into building something and realize that it's not for the greater good of our customers. Okay. So, so how did you find point of rental? You mentioned that you got here, but I don't know
0: how that you, how you actually ended up here.
1: Yeah. Um, I had a recruiter reach out to me. Uh, I was in a very good place at a company that was growing, but um, I, you know, I I'd known the elements of something that I would want if I was to able to move and point of rental meant all of those elements in that, Um, you know, I was looking for my own career development. I wanted to report into a CEO rather than run a business unit so that I could have an impact on the entire business, not, you know, one, one slice of it, um, You know, I had built up a skill set within an industry and I wanted to figure out if I was lucky or if I was good and could I take that skill set and cross industries. Uh, And so that was part of the advantage of, you know, after a certain amount of time, you become an expert in that industry. Could I be an expert in the discipline of product management and take that to a different industry? Uh, And then I really wanted to go to a, a, a company that had values more than what they just put on the conference room wall, that was mission-led, that really spoke to the culture of who we intend to be. And even if that was aspirational and we're still trying to get there, um, that I could be a part of that growth of the company. And pretty much from the very first conversation I had with uh, the recruiter uh, and, and then speaking to our CEO, Wayne, you know, it, all three of those boxes were checked. And, and so I was very excited about the opportunity uh, from the outset of uh, being reached out to from a recruiter.
0: All right, good, and and you haven't left yet, so I haven't it, left yet. Seems no. like we're, we're still up there, so that, that's good. All
1: those things remain true. This amount of time in, good,
0: because it also seems like you're like a positive version of a Trojan horse, <laughs> where you've brought in a bunch of other people from from your previous uh, stations, and. How many people have you brought over and what are you selling them on when you're, when you're telling them to come
1: here? Uh, well, I've done a fair amount of hiring since I've been here, but I have three that have specifically come over from my last company, although uh, um, one of them has been uh, actually with me since that small business um, back before the other one. Um, I, I would say that you know one of Point of Rental's core strengths is we have a huge amount of industry expertise. We have people walking these halls with decades of experience in the rental industry. They know our products. They know our segments. Um, and so we've got a really strong team with that core industry experience in our products. I've had the fortune to work with some really great people that bring other skill sets, and specifically that next stage of growth that we're in right now between more customers, bigger, more complex problems. How do we take this intentional customer experience that we want to deliver, but we want to deliver it at scale from a product, from a support, from an experiment? Um, also, as the business gets bigger, it gets more complex, and we want to be able to know how, we, uh, how we're working in that business before something sneaks up on us. Uh, and so uh, those are some of the individuals that have seen that level of growth before. They have experience with companies of this size and larger, and so they're able to come in and add catalysts to the knowledge that we already have with the team members that we have. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been fortunate to be able to attract a few that want to continue the journey with me. And, uh, you know, depending on budgets and hiring, uh, you know, I'd love to, any of you out there, I'd love to <laughs> chat with you in the future. All right. All right. Always be
0: recruiting. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it sounds like you kind of use the the same like mental process for both of these, but I was going to say, which which comes more naturally to you, uh, identifying good fits for, for people
1: in roles or identifying how to grow slash enhance a product? <clears throat> so... So many things are linked, right? In product management, the first thing that you're trying to do is what's the problem you're trying to solve, you know, and is that a meaningful problem? And I think that with growth and with hiring, et cetera, you need to know what's the problem you're trying to solve, then go figure out, you know, is that a shift of existing roles? Is that an org? Is that an expanded set of responsibilities? Or, you know, when you find that person or if you go find that person, you know, here's the problem you're trying to solve. Because one of the core things I would say across um, point of rental team members that were here before I got here, those that we've hired, is we're all problem solvers. Everybody latched, likes to latch on to a great problem. And so I think you have to start with that in order to even be able to attract somebody who might be the right role uh, for, the, for an expanded team.
0: Yeah, that's definitely one of the things I notice as I come across all these like new new people that I'm introducing. Like, what, do you, what attracted you to the position? I like to
1: solve problems. Yeah. And
0: it's like, no matter what part of the company they're in, that seems to be a, a big thing that they like.
1: And part of what I tell tell people in any kind of conversation I said is, you know, there are companies that you can go to that you can log in with your employee ID. And, you know, from 8 to 5 or whatever your hours are, there's a very prescriptive job description. Do these things, check these boxes, et cetera. Go home and be fine with it. And then there are companies like us that are growing and there are opportunities and challenges with those growth. And if you view it as, oh, my gosh, all of these things are changing, they're shifting, I get brought new responsibilities, and that drains and takes from you, You know, this is not the place to be. But if that excites you of I get to be a part of something great that's growing, I get to see my fingerprints on a business that's changing, and I can say, look at that thing we've done for the customer, look at that new program we had. I had a hand in building that from the outset. Those are those common problem-solver type people that I think we're bringing to Point of Rental.
0: All right. Now that that sounds like it might lead into this next one, and it might be your favorite thing about this role. But what is your what is your favorite thing about your current role?
1: I think it's building a great team. Um, you know, I always measure myself in the performance of my team. Uh, I want to see everything do well, and and do see my team do well. See my team solving problems, taking the the role that I think they should have in the organization, which is, you know, let's build something once and have it affect 1,000 customers rather than, you know, one great idea that might have a much smaller impact. Uh, so I think between building the team, being part of a company that is growing, um, that ex- is experiencing the challenges you would expect at this level of growth, um, and then also, yes, having really interesting problems to solve uh, every day when you wake up. Okay, I like it. it. It seems weird to wish for more problems every day, but... <laughs> One of the things I tell my group is if we're incredibly successful, do all the right things for ourselves, our our employees, our customers, et cetera, the only thing we're signing up for is bigger, more complex problems. And so, yeah, you you have to have that mindset. All right. Cool. So, before we get into your non professional life, we need to play a game. All
0: right. Uh, We're going to call it Morley or Leslie. And if you agree with the statement or if it's true, say Morley. And if you disagree with it or if it's not true, say Leslie. You understand the rules, correct? I think I can follow (laughs) you. All right, good. (laughs) Uh, And then I'll need a reason for each one of these. So
1: Morley or Leslie, you've cheated at a board game. Um, Morally true. Typically, because the people that I play board games with now are between the ages of three and five, and so rules are a pretty <laughs> fluid concept. Uh, so they're cheating outrageously, and I'm just playing along with the tone of the game,
0: okay? Okay, uh, Morley or Leslie, if you could find out how you were going to die, you'd want to
1: know. Oh, Leslie, I mean, why ruin the surprise?
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's that how well I guess how will you know if you've been surprised? Um. Morally, Leslie, you've told an outrageous lie to a child.
1: Uh, Morally, like seek back to the you know, uh, my, my children are. I've got a pair of three-year-old twins and a five-year-old. I mean, the lies go from small to outrageous, uh, depending upon whether we're talking about spoiler alert for any children, you know, fictional uh, things that uh, you know, Santa Claus bells around the the house or on the roof on on certain days to. The gold that blooms, uh, that the tooth fairy's leaving under your pillow, those types of things. Okay, the, I was
0: going to say when you say bells that Santa's left around the house, now it makes me feel like there's there's Santa
1: occasionally visiting on other days besides Christmas. I, I mean, I think that if my <laughs> spouse had something to do with it, Christmas would come more often and Santa would visit. But mm. yeah, we're, we've restricted that to once a year. All right, good. Okay, uh, Morley or Leslie, you prefer working from home to
0: working at the office?
1: Um. I'll answer with Morley, but with a caveat of I would not want to go back to all-in-office. The flexibility of working from home, from the work-life balance is great, but I would also not want to go to a 100% remote world. Um, I I would say that having that balance of being able to come in and see people in person and interact and, and build out relationships is very hard to do in our virtual world, even with all the tools that we have. You can have a meeting about a subject, you can have a collaborative, but when it's time to brainstorm or get in front of a whiteboard or do any of those activities, those are still best done in person. They can be facilitated another way. Um, I also think about the fact that I'm very fortunate to have had time in my career where I was in person. And I think about with junior people that I'm hiring on the team, how do I give them that same experience where you learn so much, not just about your job, but about running a business and being a part of a team, et cetera, from walking the halls and going and grabbing lunch with you know a coworker that may not be in your department, in your segment. And so um, I, I appreciate the work-life balance, but I'm very much in favor of making sure that not just myself, but other team members are in enough that we can facilitate those things that are better done in person.
0: For sure. Yeah. And I, I like that you guys come in. Around quarterly, at least. And it's nice to be able to see other people around the office. Right. uh, You know, sometimes I'm over here by myself over in (laughs) marketing. Okay. Morley or Leslie, you have an embarrassing nickname or a nickname that you hate.
1: Um, I, Morley, true, but will not be giving that out. Oh, I was going to (laughs) say, it's a
0: great opportunity for you to share that nickname with everyone.
1: Uh, If that could stay in the small circles that it lives in. And uh, yes, we'll leave it there. Okay. Well.
0: All right. So it's up to everyone else to find out what his uh, hated nickname is. All right. And with that, we'll go to, to a break before we talk about the personal side of James Morley. Sounds great. Joke of the day.
1: How do computers get drunk? They take screenshots. <laughs>
0: Uh, so before we started recording today, you were telling me that you are an immigrant. You also mentioned that uh, earlier in this uh, podcast. But you came to the U.S. when you were five-ish, and you have three citizenships and passports. Mm-hmm. So what? So you came here from Canada. You're in the U.S., and you have U.S. citizenship. What's the third
1: country? Uh, my father's British, so I actually was born Canadian, and a few days later um, became a Canadian and British citizen, uh, I still think that my parents thought up until maybe a couple of years into us living uh, in the U.S. That, that we might be moving back to Canada or England at some point. I think my parents are now rounding up 30-something years in Houston, and so that obviously hasn't panned out. Um, so I actually, uh, becoming a U.S. citizen was my last citizenship uh, that I got at, at 17. My I. Uh, didn't have to go through the process. I skirted in right a uh, year before, but my parents went through the naturalization process. And so uh, I got my U.S. citizenship when I was 17. And thankfully, they're all uh, friendly countries and none of them make you <laughs> give it up. So I still maintain three different passports. Yeah, I was going to say that's very,
0: uh, very nice and friendly. I don't I don't know if they even really count as separate countries, <laughs> given that they don't even make you give up. your.
1: I, I keep wondering what I could do to get a fourth you know, at some point if that's even feasible, but I feel like that would be a very small group of people that have four citizenships. Yeah. It's also just good to have options. Right. In in case
0: I ever need to leave.
1: Yeah. Well, and, you know, from a point of rental standpoint, from the markets that we have, uh, we have offices in both of those countries. And so it just, you know, allows me to diversify. So uh, Australia, you know, I'm coming to visit you next year to see what it takes. (laughs) I I think it takes more than just like visiting (laughs) for a couple of weeks, but I mean, who
0: who knows? Um, has being an immigrant impacted your daily life at all? Because I'd imagine not very many people give you the old
1: "You ain't from here, are you?" Uh, I I still will say a few words, probably a little bit um, peculiar, um, but uh, you know, I, y'all has not made its way into my vernacular. Uh, I think growing up probably had the biggest impact. You know, I went through school like every other kid, but trying to convince your English father and Canadian mother that there's a dance coming up and you need to buy this thing called a mum that sometimes has cowbells hanging off of it and I'm going to give this to my date was a really hard sell to convince and so there's some you know not just Americana but Texas I was going to say that's
0: a very specific Texas thing. <laughs> that did not exist where uh, I grew up.
1: so that that existed where I grew up you know trying to convince them that I think at the age of 13 or 14 that I needed a BB gun and uh, just getting looks of what do you need a gun for and uh, those types of things so uh, I think mostly just uh, um, from convincing my parents that I needed to be an American that was how it, it affected my day-to-day life but uh, I, I wouldn't say that today I've, I've done most of my growing up here um, you know some of the other culture aspects in, in high school I was looking at you know large universities that I could go to and looking at a and and the University of Texas. And I just thought, oh, they're two big Texas universities. And I think it was shockingly late that I realized the difference in culture and the rivalry that went on. Um, and, and so th- those are the types of things that I think I missed out on was the, in growing up and not having those influences.
0: So we, we already discussed how you're good at bringing people along with you uh, after, after a time. you know, it, it's. In companies, mostly, but uh, if you if we do need to get out of the states for some reason, I just need to see if uh, you can use your citizenship gaining powers to to help get me. And, and so can can you smuggle me out of the country if I need?
1: I think depending on the destination, uh, you know, I would still probably go Caribbean before I try to smuggle you into Canada. But we can talk.
0: All right, good, good. Uh, another thing that you mentioned when we were talking uh, pre-interview is that you were a Boy Scout. And you did a lot of camping and traveling as a kid, including to Germany and Japan. So first of all, as, as an American who grew up studying a lot of World War II, I associate Germany and Japan with being Axis powers and then like great engineering. But I'm sure that's not the reason that you went to those <laughs> locations. So why did you go to those two countries in particular?
1: You know, the correlation between the two and, uh, you know, I've had the fortune to go to some parts of Europe. I just came back from seeing my second trip to Normandy. So yeah, well aware of the the World War II implications, but somehow the correlation that those two destinations had that in common didn't quite. um, uh, So Germany was the opportunity that um, my uh, high school best friend and I, uh, we were gonna travel around Europe together between high school and and college. Um, He signed up for the military and they moved his ship out date. and so we, we missed that because he shipped out at the beginning of that summer. Uh, and for whatever reason at the time, I decided not to go solo. And instead, I found this through the, the scouting organization, um, a 17th century castle uh, called Burg Rienek, which is just outside of Würzburg in Bavaria. And I got to go be a staff member and worker there for the summer. And uh, who doesn't like castles and the chance to live in a castle and do anything, everything from helping facilitate weddings to... Uh, reenactments to corporate retreats um, in beautiful uh, part of germany for the summer Uh, so that was the real attraction there Uh, japan was uh, being a part of kind of an exchange program um, and uh, getting to go you know see a part of the world that was just fantastic we did go to nagasaki but we also traveled around uh, did a homestay went camping uh, and so no correlation there and you know Obviously, all around the U.S. and some other travel destinations, but I guess those were the two that that, that stuck out. Speaking to you, yeah, later. I was
0: going to say those sound especially cool. So you did. So
1: basically, like
0: the working there kind of paid for the trip.
1: Yeah, the so working there paid for the trip, room and board, got a small amount of allowance. Um, it was something like ten days on, two or three days off, and so had had a home base. Um, you know, was my German is was horrible <laughs> then, is non-existent now. Uh, but then, you know, you get three days, go into Berlin, go into uh, some other part. And, um, you know, it's just a great way to spend a summer in between uh, college and university and coming back to university, having had the, the interesting European summer and actually ready to start doing some courses.
0: Yeah, dang. that's um, I, I need If I get a time machine, I'm going to need to go back <laughs> in time, tell myself, sign up for Boy Scouts and do this. Uh, okay, so... Why didn't you become an Eagle Scout? I'm guessing that you're not one because you said you grew up doing Boy Scouts and I'm pretty sure every time I've met an Eagle Scout they lead with that.
1: So maybe that's just an annoying habit I don't have or maybe I need to, but I'm an Eagle Scout. I got my Eagle when I was 15, uh, eighth grade, which is pretty early, um, which having that drive to do it fairly early on, there's a lot of people that call themselves life for lifers, meaning they're 18 and they aged out and they never got their Eagle. But I stayed in because I had a younger brother and it was, you know, a big part of what my family did, camping, etc. So I stayed in after I got my Eagle, which is actually what gave me the opportunity to go do a bunch of really cool things because I was no longer trying to earn merit badges or get my Eagle. Instead, it was, you know, what can this do for me? And so getting to go to the big ranch in New Mexico called Philmont, Uh, I was able to do two hikes there um, over two different summers. I was actually worked there for a couple other summers um, while I was in high school, uh, getting to go up to Colorado and, you know, just getting to do, for those that uh, will follow me here, the cool stuff in Boy Scouts. I realize that not everyone will agree that that exists, but I would argue it. Uh,
0: So was, like, being an Eagle Scout a precondition to doing the uh,
1: Germany trip or or no? No no precondition. It just... um, you know, for many, it it, it it just allowed me to focus on doing the interesting things that I wanted to do, whereas others uh, that hadn't got their ego so early spent a lot of their time balancing, oh, I've got to get a merit badge or some other requirement, et cetera. Mostly those are, they were focused on some other thing. They were in band or in sports or those types of, of, of pieces. And I played a, a few sports, not very well um, in high school. As I said, I got into technical theater, um, but in the junior high years, that was my main focus outside of school. And so um, getting all that stuff done early gave me the chance to, yeah, go go and do the fun things afterwards.
0: So you're getting sent away for the summer every summer. Is this, I don't know, it seems very weird for parents to just send their kids away. I know it's something that was commonly done, but as I have a daughter now, I can't imagine just like sending her away for the summer?
1: I don't know if that's a combination of having European parents, having parents that were just more outdoorsy themselves or living in Houston where it's really hot (laughs) in the summer and wanting to go uh, somewhere else all summer. But uh, I I think probably from the time I entered high school, there were multiple summers where the day after school I would leave for a camp. I might come home from that camp, change clothes and go to something else or go work as a staff member at another camp. And uh, it was not I would say almost all four of those summers in high schools I was gone nearly the entire time. And sometimes over Christmas breaks, too, there were winter camps and and things like that. Um, But, you know, fantastic experiences and no regrets versus, you know, sitting around Houston in the summer.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that sounds like a a much more
1: fun alternative.
0: (laughs) All right. So I guess we I guess we don't need to ask you what badges you still need cuz you got all the badges. I got all the
1: ones needed. that I needed for sure. Yeah, there might be it have been uh, a few other ones and some that you were kind of forced into doing. <laughs> I was going to say are there any that you like missed out on where you're like, "Oh man, I wish I'd gotten that badge."
0: Also, is it too late can you get Well, you you badges age at 18, when you're no longer so, a boy.
1: I mean, there's no reason you can't buy a book and go through all the things, but uh no, you know, everything from there are cool things that, um wilderness survival right so like you learn some of those core survival skills we had to build a shelter um out and you know the person leading it ran an exercise where they basically we were all sitting around he walked in and said an emergency happened you're not allowed to get anything we're taking you out into the woods so it's like not even preparing water bottle pocket knife if you didn't have it on you um those were those were pretty memorable um all the way to you know basket weaving sitting there at this camp learning to make a basket not nearly a skill that I use today.
0: Mm. Yeah, I hope you don't have to use the wilderness survival one <laughs> today. Uh, all right. So there's there's a lot of things that I still want to get to with you, but we're running out of time and we haven't even gotten to the five important questions, which okay. ten- tends to take quite a bit of time. So let's just get to the the scuba diving because that, that really sounds interesting to me. How do you
1: decide, like,
0: hey, I want to become a scu- scuba diver?
1: Um, so I think it was something that uh, some friends had talked to me about, uh, again, in Scouts, I got the chance to do, like, the pool version of it. So thought that, hey, breathing underwater, this is pretty cool. Um, maybe it ties back to that desire from a marine biologist. <laughs> I was, was going to say, is, is that a badge, breathing <laughs> underwater? No, uh, yeah, not the, the one that I got. Um, and, and so, you know, I had, I think, a friend come and tell me and say, you know, we would all or most of us would love if space travel became an actual thing in our lifetimes. But the closest thing you can do to it today is put on a scuba tank and go be weightless in the ocean. Um, and then from, from the marine life, the, the, you know, the calm piece that you need to have to be a good scuba diver, et cetera, uh, it just became a really cool uh, hobby to pick up. And, you know, from the travel bug and liking to go places, you know, it, it, it aligns with going, going someplace interesting and going and seeing what's under the water at that place.
0: Okay, so that's your that's your theme. Like your parents' theme was go see rocks. Right, and you're, you're just <laughs> like all right, be- we got to go into water. Right, yeah.
1: Okay, are, are you making? At what point are you taking your kids underwater? Uh, I think you may have to be 15 years old to get scuba certified. And okay, so- good. It it sounds very. <laughs> scary yeah. to <laughs> now i have three sets of snorkel equipment at home and in the pool in the backyard uh, my five-year-old and i already start snorkeling around so she's uh she knows that 10 years from now we can we can try it out so uh, hopefully that's something that i can impress rather than force upon my children
0: all right sounds good you're, you're already training her to not go up faster than the bubbles that's right, right yeah all right Uh, You seem like an analytical guy. Are you really organized about what you intend to see when you go on a dive throughout a trip? Or is that where
1: you go to just like
0: clear your mind and just be zen?
1: Well, I think what you see is fairly outside of your control. And so there is that element of organized to a point, right? You organize the trip to get there. You get excited about where you're staying, where you're going to go. And then you set yourself up for, hey, let's go have an amazing experience. But what you see what you experience there is you know that's part of the the beauty of it is that you can't organize that
0: okay so i'm gonna name a list of things and you let me know which which things you've seen while scuba diving okay okay uh first of all a newt playing flute (laughs) i've not seen that while scuba diving. a carp playing harp not seen it Mm. a place playing bass nope Mm. a bass playing brass
1: I haven't done much freshwater scuba diving, so nope. Mm,
0: a, a chub that plays the tub.
1: <laughs> no. You're, you're supposed to stop me at some point. I figured it uh, was a pretty exhaustive list. But no, there, there's been no musical instruments played mm. by Sea Life in my scuba diving experience so far.
0: Okay, yeah. The last one was, have you seen any kind of crustacean band? Hot or otherwise, because <laughs> that's my knowledge of the sea, is fr- comes is from this the Little Mermaid. Bond no, Little Mermaid. Come oh, on. okay. I, I guess you haven't entered that era of watching old Disney
1: movies. No, I haven't made it to that one yet.
0: Okay. Uh, what is something that people misunderstand about you? Hmm. Um, yeah, I really took it in a totally different direction there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I would try to, I'm trying to think back on people that I've gotten to know well and what they've maybe brought me um, later on in our relationship that they say that they misunderstood about me. I don't have a good answer for you, Brian.
0: All right, well. Sorry. I mean, why, why are we even doing this if you can't <laughs> have, answer that one? Uh, the next one is, do you have any questions for me? You get exactly one. I get to ask all these, and you get to ask
1: one. Brian, you do a lot of these interviews, right? You know, you put together these questions. you are the face of point of rental, whether it's our um, you know marketing or uh, other pieces. when when you spend the time with this amount of people, how much of this is really formulaic for you, or how much of it are you saying like, there, there's something about this person I really want to know, and I build the interview around that. How do you approach giving interviews like this?
0: So for the sake of, like, organization and all of that, I try to keep a lot of it very similar and and kind of have a format. But then I, I do like to have a handful of questions that are actually things that I'm interested in. I, I did appreciate the fact that you had, like, a list of things that it's like, hey, these are things that people generally find interesting. So much more helpful than some <laughs> of these other ones. Because, yeah, it's just much easier than trying to count on myself to be able to ask good follow-up questions in in the moment. It's maybe maybe
1: a bit of a crutch, but it's... uh, Give me a second question. (sighs) Fine. Uh, So in my opinion, you do something that for many people might be their nightmare, right? You get up and you're the face of the organization. Lots of people talk about how they hate the sound of their own voice. and, And in many ways... Uh, you're on videos and you don't have the live audience to interact with or anything like that. <laughs> for somebody that might not like spending time in front of cameras, in front of an audience or something, and someone that's obviously mastered it in their career, <laughs> what would you advise on somebody going down that journey for how they can be better in front of an audience?
0: Uh, I think that the main thing that helped me as far as like being in front of an actual audience, because I had to do that at industry panel last year, it's really just kind of focusing in on the person that you're talking to. It's it's much easier. I also am not comfortable in front of a camera, and it, part of the whole experience of doing this has been kind of building my comfort level. Uh, we started this as an audio-only thing, and then Scott wanted to do video, and he is much more of a like YouTube generation type. Yeah. Uh, I'm comfortable on video uh, person. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's something that you... I mean just focus on the person that you're talking to and try to forget that there's cameras
1: there <laughs> yeah it, it resonates with me like um i might be stealing a question from you later on but you know one of those kind of get to know you questions is always like what is your biggest fear uh, and for Not me sure, just <laughs> i know i'm just, yeah oh for me there's a thing called lassophobia which is a fear of depths and unknown and so you might say well hold on james we just talked about all the scuba diving and you're talking about being afraid of being in the water that's absolutely what it is and i think that's part of what it is it's that rational side of your brain saying like it's fine you're going there jaws is not going to be right below the surface there won't be any great white but you have that response of the increased heart rate etc and then you get down there and you have such a great experience but every single time i get into the water it freaks the you know and so sometimes it's like you just have to find that challenge whether it's getting in front of people or getting in the water etc um and I think that's what grows you as a person, whether it's in the career or personally.
0: Yeah. The other thing is like, I don't think anyone actually cares that much that I'm going to get fired or like anyone's going to yell at me o- over anything that I'm saying here. So it's, it's not well, that sounds as, like as big as things. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've come close to saying things that might get me in actual trouble, but I, I managed to avoid that. Uh, by the way, you're not doing anything crazy like cave diving, are you? When you're doing scuba diving. Um,
1: So I've done uh, cenotes and down in uh, Acomal outside of Mexico. So it's not technically a cave because 100, 200 feet away, you could see where you would get out. But I think that the definition of cave diving is if there's an overhang, right? If you can't just pull your regulator and go out, and you definitely can't do that. I would say that's in my top five. Like one of the coolest things that I've ever done is because the cenotes don't have any fish or anything. So it really is like being in space, like, you can't see the water. It just you just feel like you're going around in a big cave. Uh, so that was super cool. But I haven't done any like squeeze into tight spaces. Okay. Obviously, if you look at my physique, that's not something I'm planning to do. <laughs> I, do I just want to make
0: sure that you're avoiding the ones where it ha- where I've seen like the signs where it's like no, no here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. don't don't do that, James. We no. we like you around here. Uh, before we get into the five important questions, I need to get a list of your top five merit badges that you've earned. So we need to start at at
1: five and go to one. Five and go to one. Yeah. Um, so number five.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I think camping, number okay. five. Number four. Um, hiking, shotgun shooting, Okay. riflery, wilderness survival.
0: Okay, so you the did top get, top get the,
1: the wilderness survival. Did you get stuck without your pocket knife or, or anything like that? Um, I remember not needing a pocket knife. I think I found some like fronds that i could weave together to because it actually did rain on us that night that we were out there uh and some of the guys i was with were pretty miserable and um i remember being cold but not like miserably wet that night so i think i was pretty effective for that one night of wilderness survival
0: all right good well that one sounds i won't say like fun but it sounds like a challenge yes
1: yeah all right Uh, so Some of our colleagues here and I, we talk about there's different levels of fun. So there's level one fun, which is fun you know that you're having while you're having it. And then level two fun, which might be hiking up the side of it or where you talk about it constantly afterwards. And you look back on it and you're like, actually, we were having the time of our lives. But while you're doing it, you're not having fun. That's level two fun. Okay.
0: I like that there's levels. I propose like some other levels of like.
1: <laughs> Sitting on a beach, you know, level one fun. I'm enjoying this while I'm doing it.
0: I was going to say that might be like a different, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll discuss levels of fun another time because <laughs> I feel like we could spend a while uh, discussing that. So let's get into the five important questions. Okay. Five important questions.
1: Five important, five questions. important questions. Five important questions.
0: Number one. What would you say is your greatest success in life?
1: Um, my wife is beautiful and classy and way out of my league, and I somehow convinced her to marry me, and that is the greatest success I've had in life.
0: All right. Well, I, I won't debate you on that one. That
1: seems <laughs> uh, necessary and probably rude. Uh,
0: number two, you've already kind of stolen it from me, but what is your greatest fear? Is it?
1: That, yeah, uh, I depth? would say, you know, depths, um time. You know, that, that first jump in off the dive boat and looking around and figuring out if a, a shark or a monster is about to eat you, that's my big fear.
0: Yeah, depth, depth seems like someone that only someone who scuba dives would even think of <laughs> as far as the thing. Like, obviously there's heights, but no one thinks depths. All right. Uh, if you could tell first day at Point of Rental James, one piece of advice, what would you tell him?
1: <laughs> um, continue to communicate. And so being a new entity at the company, wanting to make an impact, but making sure that I bring my stakeholders along with me. And there's some version of, you know, what I've read about people in politics or those that communicate for a living of, you know, when you're tired of saying it, say it three times more, and then maybe you've probably communicated it. And I think that's what I would remind myself at the beginning of, you know, just because you've had the conversation with one person or a group of people doesn't mean you've communicated the message effectively.
0: Mm, that's probably something I should listen to because I get tired of communicating something uh, after once. <laughs> so, uh, What is your most embarrassing moment as a pointer?
1: You know, I'm a fairly clumsy person. Thankfully, they let me <laughs> wear a black shirt because if it was any co- color other, other than this, um, I would uh, have to go through shirts pretty quickly. I probably haven't had my most embarrassing day at Point of Rental yet. <laughs> it's something um, you're looking forward yeah, I'm to. I'm sure it's it's still on the horizon. I do think there was a day that I came in, had a full morning of meetings, and I just got slammed with a headache or something like that, and I had to go tell my boss, our CEO, I have to go back to my hotel room and lay down. And I went and did that for two hours and came back. But, you know, obviously everybody was very gracious and accommodating, but uh, it is somewhat, you know, when you're still an unknown entity saying, <laughs> I've got to <laughs> peace out for a couple hours. And so that was, if, yeah, probably the most embarrassing so far that has occurred to me.
0: All right, well, uh, sorry you've been sentenced to death because uh, needing, <laughs> needing a couple couple hours to lay down and, and rest uh, is now a capital offense. You, you now get to have a permanent <laughs> rest after that. Uh, what is your last meal
1: and why? Hmm. Um, so I think also coming to the U.S., there's a, there's a whole slew of southern food that I didn't grow up with that wasn't what was came out of my family and put on our dinner table. So I think some combination of you know a smoked Texas brisket cornbread made from somebody who's from a couple generations of the south um, macaroni and cheese where you know it's been put in the oven and baked for a little while um, would be up there with the last meals I like that you have a
0: have a demand it's like no this person was clearly
1: like first generation <laughs> no first generation nothing out of a box
0: yeah, okay, so nothing to honor your your Canadian or or English. I, I uh, mean, there's a lot of history
1: between those countries, and a lot to be proud of. But I think <laughs> culinary. I do like a good full English breakfast, but I'm not sure if that's actually English culture, or just a tourist thing. Mm-hmm. But neither one of those are in, in. In fact, English culture is just really good at stealing other cultures' <laughs> foods. So yeah, it's fair.
0: Okay. Well, would you like any uh, any beverage with your
1: with your final meal? Uh, probably a, a good
0: whiskey. All right. Uh, what is, oh, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? And, and this is a like instant change type thing rather than a, you know, constant
1: working. Um, other than, you know, wealth and health, you know, that would probably be in those categories. It's
0: <laughs> fair. That's that's a good uh, general <laughs> wish. Uh, if you could change one thing at point of rent, what would it be?
1: Change one thing at point of rental. I think I have the opportunity in my position that I am trying to change a lot of things all at once. Um, and but now so, you can do it in a snap. Uh, you know, I, I, would, I would like to uh, take the feature-rich software that we have that serves a lot of customers, and a, a big part of what we have going on right now is modernizing it. So taking all of those features that our customers use day-to-day, um, and moving it into more modern platforms. If we could get that done a little bit faster, we would appreciate it. Our customers would appreciate it.
0: That's true. Okay. What is your spirit spice?
1: Oh, spirit spice. Um, <laughs> I like you say spirit spices, So Obviously, this is a yeah. common
0: question that everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, of everyone course. Knows.
1: Um, I'm still not quite certain what you do with seasoning salt over salt, and, but I feel like there's probably a world of where seasoning salt is the better answer, so I'm going to go with that. Okay, it gives you a little extra, a little extra flavor on top it, of the
0: salt. I do enjoy it on a on French fries. Okay, uh, tell me a secret about Point of Rental.
1: I don't know that I've been here long enough. Um, there are rooms full of random things. Uh, every now and then, I was looking to change my desk around, and I went went looking, and I found a, a room full of desks or a, a room full of you know, Nerf guns and things like that. And uh, so I think this this office is a treasure trove of uh, random things if you open up the right door.
0: That's true, yeah. We we moved into the office and then COVID hit, so we didn't really get fully situated. So, that, yeah, there there is a bunch of random stuff around here.
1: But if there are other secrets, my tenure is probably too, so I would appreciate knowing any other secrets <laughs> of point of rental that I should know. Okay, what's
0: something, whether related to our software or not, that you could teach a three- to five-minute class about? like on a on video
1: um i think using different tools like OneNote, note et etc to stay organized and using google tasks i think that what i find interesting and surprising is that for some of the really high level people that i either interview or hire that you know have great brains to solve problems etc how much some kind of basic task management and organization can be lacking. And so I may not be an expert in it, but I think that's one of the things that just by necessity I have to do to survive. Okay. And then the,
0: the natural follow up is what is something that you'd be excited to
1: teach a three to five minute class about? Mm. Um, I think you can always engage me. Yeah. In, uh, in different levels of productivity suites, uh, which is probably pretty boring for most others um, or, you know, interesting places to travel you know and uh whether it's scuba diving or hiking etc and so a three to five minute class on that
0: all right those sound those sound entertaining and uh maybe we'll uh, need to create some of those in the future okay well thank you james for chatting today we're we're done with our hour and thank you to anyone that made it to this point with us uh we'll keep the porch light burning for you appreciate it thank you brian